All right. Um, if you guys would, I want to start this morning uh, in prayer as we continue to pray for everything that's happening in the Middle East. Um, if you would, could you guys just stand with me um, as we read Psalm 90 and uh, enter into a time of prayer? It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, where you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love for us is great. Your anger is righteous. You have numbered our days. This life is but a, a glimpse in time, a breath of air, a poof to you. A day is like a, a thousand years. And our lives, God, our lives are for you, for your glory, for your splendor. We ask for peace, God, in the Middle East, acknowledging that many are going through despair, through war, through hurt, through pain. And God, you have warned us that this would come, that this day would come, May the day of the Lord be soon. May your return be imminent, God, as we await it, as we have long awaited that second coming of Christ and we have placed our full hope in your victory. So God, we pray that you would claim victory in the Middle East, in our hearts, in the church, and in our lives today. Father, God, your spirit moves. It empowers. It encourages and I pray that you would entrust us with that spirit to be one here as a church this morning, worshiping you. 
crying out for our brothers and sisters, crying out for peace in the Middle East. Our hearts laid before you, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I always know when it's going to be an emotional one when God wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> he says, be ready. Today is a day. Every day is a gift from God. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to share what he puts on my heart up here. And if you guys ever have a word from the Lord, I encourage you to come share it with me so that you can have the stage and share that word as well. He woke me up early this morning um, just to spend time with him. And it's been good. It's been sweet. And every day I get that, um, he moves, and he is faithful to meet with me when I meet with him. So um, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys this morning as we continue to go through uh, the epidemics of the epidemic of social isolation. Compose myself for a second. All right. Social, social isolation, uh, it's the lack of relationships with others and little to no social support or contact. It is associated, associated with risk, even, people, even if people don't feel lonely. Okay? So this week is a tie-in to last week as we talk about this epidemic of social isolation, uh, which was also paired with the social epidemic of loneliness last week. There is a difference in the two, um, one being the feeling that you feel and social isolation being the practice that occurs that leads to that feeling of loneliness. Loneliness is a feeling alone or disconnected from others. It's feeling like you do not have meaningful or close relationships or a sense of belonging. It reflects the difference between a person's actual and desired level of connection. This means that even a person with a lot of friends can feel lonely. I want you guys to know that it is intentional that when we come in here on Sunday mornings, we haven't added lights to our stage that shine down from the top or below. We haven't added a fog machine. We uh, haven't done a big production into our worship time because we don't want it to be about the show or the things that are going on around us. Um, this morning's worship hit me a little different as we simply had a guitar and voices. That's because we desire relationship and we don't want to get distracted by anything other than the core of who God is and what he's intended for us as a church to know each other. And I was looking around this morning and the people in this room and I'm so glad to be able to say that we get to do life together as a church. Social isolation has some medical, uh, there's risk that is involved that lead to medical illnesses and things that will affect you if you are experiencing the loneliness or social isolation is too heavy um, in your life. It can lead to heart disease and stroke. This is from the CDC, by the way. Um, heart disease and stroke can lead to type 2 diabetes, depression and anxiety, addiction, suicide, self-harm, dementia, and even possibly early death. Personally, I've experienced the loss of a couple really close friends due to social isolation, and I mourn their loss. 
good couple good friends from high school that I really had to struggle the question, through the questions of, could I have done more? And why did things like this happen? And I've been comforted by God, um, being reassured that He is in control and that He has uh, He's encouraged me to preach about the difficulties of this life and encourage us as the church to walk with people through the difficult circumstances that lead to social isolation, and that should not occur within the church. It is not something that God desires. It is, God is, is, or man is not meant to be alone. We are meant to be within the community of the church. So this should not be something that happens within the church, and if it is, we as a church are not stepping up to the plate of what we really should be doing meeting those where that need is. Hopefully today uh, we'll get a little more insight into this epidemic and encourage us to continue to pursue God's people with a heart of love, especially those who are sitting in this room with us today. I see it um, in my school every day. Uh, We actually had a training on it. Daniel, um, can you cue up that video? They showed us a video to help uh, explain how this happens within the school setting. I wanted to test you guys out on this real fast and see how well you do. Um, So just follow the prompts on the video and then I'll talk about it in just a second. All right. Thank you, Daniel Simons. All right. How many of you guys saw the gorilla at first, when you first watched it? Okay. Only a few of you. That's pretty good that you guys saw the gorilla. I was so tuned in to where the basketball was because I, I hate getting answers wrong, right? Like, it, when I'm taking tests, I, I, I like tests. Because I think that there's a definitive answer on a test. So I was so locked into the basketball that I didn't even see this giant gorilla walking through the middle of their entire game. And when I saw them turn it in reverse, I was like, there's no way. A giant gorilla? I didn't even see the giant gorilla in the room. I had no idea what they were talking about. This happens in social isolation all the time. We get so fixed on certain things, looking for the right answers, uh, trying to be correct and, and making all the right moves that we don't even notice when this giant gorilla is walking through our life. 
Social isolation commonly is, is taking over for, for a few different reasons. One of them being, and the top one that I want to I wanna just harp on today, is technology advancements leading to decreased face-to-face interactions. I am guilty of this. I have a screen time, and all of you, this may be the accountability piece, have a screen time which you can look at on your phone for how long you've been looking at that screen. I'll admit it, my average time is between three to four hours a day. Okay? That's less than some people, um, but it's probably right around the average. Three to four hours a day where I'm locked into this screen that distracts me from a giant gorilla walking right in front of me. The problem with, these, with the cell phones and the technology advancements is we've replaced face-to-face interactions with fake ones, with, um, with a, a facade of face-to-face interactions where we're seeing faces, we're seeing people, and we're seeing lives happen all around us, but we are not communicating with them. It's a one-way communication where we see them and, and they don't see us, or, or they see us and we don't see them. In fact, the UN just came out with this article that my teacher friends and I were talking about. On July 26, 2023, the UN issued a report, and they raised concerns about the excessive use of smartphones in schools worldwide that according to the UN's Education, Science, and Cultural Agency, the uh, UNESCO, the overall use of mobile phones impacts learning so much so that our children are not learning anything in public schools. I can testify to this. I see it firsthand. The first thing students do when they come into the classroom is look at their phone. And if we don't correct it as teachers, they are looking at their phone. Even if we correct it, we go around, they're looking at their phone. They're hiding their phone. It is not just in teenage children, but it is in adults' lives as well. We get so addicted to this phone that we forget the things around us. That is the first one. The second one, which we're more guilty of as adults, is a busy lifestyle and lack of time for building and maintaining relationships. Again, I'm guilty of this. In our culture and in our society, we almost praise a busy life where if you're doing a bunch of things, you must be someone important or you must be someone who's popular or there's a tie to it between relevance or significance to your busyness of your life. But if you become too busy and have too many things going on in your life, it becomes more and more difficult to build and maintain significant relationships in your life. Others may face social isolation out of fear or judgment, fear of rejection. There's a fear to get to know new people, to step out of a comfort zone and go meet someone new. There's a fear of people finding out who you used to be or what you have done. There's a fear that someone's not going to like you because of the things that you like or the, the things that you participate in. And then the last one that 
tends to lead towards social isolation is mental health issues like anxiety or depression. And I, I argued with this one of, well, does anxiety and depression cause social isolation, or does social isolation cause anxiety and depression? I think it's a both and. I think both can contribute to each other. Some examples of social isolation there are the teenagers, like I said, but also in elderly populations, we have individuals who feel lonely and disconnected from their communities. My parents aren't here, so I can say this. Right? My parents experience this kind of social isolation where they move to a new community and it's been hard for them to find a small group to get involved with, to find friends to, to socialize with, right? Uh, immigrants or refugees struggle to integrate into a new society. If you've moved from one nation to another, right, they're experiencing a whole different lifestyle. Um, individuals with disabilities, they face social exclusion or even a lot of those who have mental illnesses. My wife and I, we experienced social isolation when we left a mega church a few years ago, five years or so ago. Um, during that time, we felt like we had so many people around us, thousands of people, but we really didn't have anyone at all. If you look at my wife and I's relationships, friendships that we have with people, you'll notice that most of the solid, deep relationships that we have now have been built in the last five years, with the exceptions of maybe the fairies. Because we were amongst a group of people, a, a plethora of people. We were in a crowd every single day, thousands of people. But we didn't know anybody. We were in the midst of people, but we were all alone in our journey. We didn't have people over to our house, eat dinner with them, socialize with them. We were on an island, even though we existed within a network of people, and it absolutely destroyed us. It destroyed us. If, if you read Matthew chapter 14, or sorry, Matthew chapter 4, you're going to read of the enemy's plan to attack in times of weakness, that even Jesus experienced attacks from the enemy when he placed himself into an isolated spot, right? If you remember the story of how Jesus started his ministry, first he got baptized by John, and after his baptism he said, I'm going to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was after that time of fasting that the enemy came in, the tempter came in and said, Jesus, you know, if you throw yourself off of this temple, right, won't God surely lift you up and save you? And he took him to a mountain and said, hey, if you look out over all this land, I'll give this to you, right? He, he's tempting him because Jesus is isolated at this point, and he's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he's at his most susceptible point. However, this is the point. Solitude is a state of being alone, but not lonely. Jesus was in solitude, right? Jesus purposely went into solitude to be alone with God, whereas isolation is simply being alone without the presence of God. There's, the distinction here is intention. I believe solitude is a good thing. 
If we go into solitude to pursue God and to be with God like Jesus did, Jesus or God will show up when the tempter comes in to tempt you. However, if you go into isolation and you're isolated from the world, you're isolated from the church, and you're isolated from God, I know it sounds weird, but it's true. Solitude is enjoyable, but loneliness isn't. Right? Being alone with God should bring life and bring joy. But if you bring or if you go into social isolation and you're here instead of here, if you're looking at your phone instead of praising God, you're going to experience loneliness. So, as Jesus was in the wilderness and he's being tempted, Jesus did a, a few things that we can learn from to really bring us the uh, skills, the ability, the, the promises to help combat isolation in the form that are when it comes to creep in in a, in a time of solitude. And what Jesus does is he rests on the promises of Scripture. He rests on what God has promised him that he would do, the character of God, so that he could combat the tempter when the tempter comes in and tries to tell him differently from what he knows of God. So much so that this, when he enters into this place of solitude and he spends his time with God, even though the tempter comes in and tries to tempt him, when he comes out of the 40 days and 40 nights, that's when it is believed that Jesus starts his ministry. He's, and after he's spent this time of solitude with God, and he knows where he is, and he's developed a resistance towards that tempter, and he knows that he's not going to fail because he knows the promises of God and promises of Scripture, he goes out and starts the ministry of going to the cross. And he spends three years in ministry healing and, and preaching and, and doing all kinds of miracles with his disciples and he, because he experienced this place of solitude first. So I wanted to give some solutions to combat social isolation. The first one is to love as Jesus loved. To love as Jesus loved. In John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is that first step to overcoming social isolation. When you develop a deep love for God, you start to develop a deep love for one another. That's why, that's why he gives it to us as the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. The second one, be the church that cares. Be the church that cares. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved and from uh first corinthians chapter 12 verse 
12 through 27, we get this picture of the body of Christ and how we work together to imitate Christ, that the church imitates who Christ is when we start working together. We need to be a church that cares for one another, right? Social isolation should not be allowed in the church. Solitude, yes, but isolation, no. If any of you are feeling alone, like there's no one else to walk with you in this life, myself, around with many others in this room, we want to walk with you. We want to be a church that cares. And if you're in need, we need to know that you're in need. We want to help meet your needs to the best of our ability. If you're in need of living situation or paying a bill that that you don't know about, if you're in need of food or resources, we want to help. We are the church. Just like they did in Acts chapter 2, we want to be ones where nobody in this room is in need, whether it be financial or relationship or spiritual or emotional we, want, we, need, we need each other. We need each other. We want to be a Christian community that can provide support, fellowship, and a sense of belonging. Next one. That's, actually, that was that one. Be a Christian community that can provide support, fellowship, and a sense of belonging. Romans chapter 12. We're going to head into a series on Romans and themes through Romans, so I'm going to leave most of that for that series. But in Romans chapter 12, it says, Be hospitable to one another. That my house is your house. Mi casa es su casa. Right? That it's not my house for my own kingdom to be built. I pay the rent, but it's God's house so that you can come in and be a part of it as well. Let's be a Christian community that can support, experience fellowship together, and have a sense of belonging. I think we do a pretty good job of that here. I think we like to see you and let you know that you're being seen. We want to hear that. That's why we have business meetings every year, so that everybody has a voice. If you've been in different churches, this one functions a little bit differently. You can come and you can express what you want to hear, what you want to happen, and we want to hear you. This is not my church. This is not the executive board's church. This is God's church, and we are his people. The next one, which I, just with the, the congregational business meeting coming up and being on that vein right now, actively reach out to those who may be socially isolated. Personally, myself, as a bivocational pastor, I feel the lack of this right now. I, I feel like this might be an area of our church where we're lacking in being involved in the community and the needs of the community. We need to be a church that reaches out and we're not solely focused inwardly on just who we are. We are here for each other and for our community. That is why we exist. As a bivocational pastor, I spend most of my day in Stockton. And we need to spend more time within our community. So I feel a lack of that. We need to put more resources, time, and attention to reaching out to our community throughout our day, all day long. I wish my job put me here, and I'm asking for it, that I can move and transfer to this position where I can be here all the time. 
In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, it talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? The Good Samaritan, allowing us to love and put compassion on those that are in need. If you see someone on the side of the road, do you stop and help them? Do we, do we act as the hands and feet of Christ? That's the image that he gives us. And lastly, we serve together. We serve together because when we serve together, it doesn't just help the person out, but it helps us to grow together. I listened to a, a message um, earlier today, and this is maybe what was driving a little of my emotions at the beginning uh, of this morning. A guy named, I think it's Tim Ross is his name. And he started preaching. He, he was preaching on what the church has become and what we have become as a church. And his, his point was that when we read Scripture, we see people like David who committed adultery, who committed murder, lied about it, covered it up, and God said he is a man after God's own heart. We look at people like Abraham in Scripture who, who told his or, or his wife told him to sleep with his slave so that he could have a child, and then God blesses Sarah and his children, and Sarah kicks the slave out. And we see these stories where underlying there is a message of sin that has been redeemed. And what he says that our problem is, or, or what we've tended to do, is that we can offer grace to the history, but we have a hard time receiving grace in the present. That we can look back on things that have happened and we're able to say, yes, God showed grace to David because David had a repentant heart, because David turned from his ways and started pursuing God. But the grace that was given was in the moment that God forgave David and still appointed him king over his nation, knowing full well what he had done and what he was doing during the time. God blessed Abraham as a nation even though he went outside of what God had told him to do and slept with his maidservant. In the moment, God issued grace. What is it now in our lives that we need grace for? That's going to create a community of love and forgiveness. The, the fact of the matter is this place needs to be a safe place where we can talk about what is going on in our lives. And if we don't, we're going to allow the secret hidden sins of our lives to push us into a social isolation where you won't be known and you won't be seen. I was actually reading through some of our membership stuff, preparing for the new membership class, and within our membership, we say, if you want to be a part of this church, we want you to be able to feel safe enough to say, I need God's grace for whatever it may be. That we can come in here exactly as we are, exactly as we always have been, and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Over the last couple weeks, we've been trying to implement um, some prayer stations or people that are willing to pray for you. A couple, I think Dorothy or Deb and Prague have been standing in the back saying, hey, 
we are here to pray for you. But nobody has come to ask for prayer. I'm not trying to coerce you into going to pray with them. I'm not. Sometimes it happens outside of this place that I don't know about. And if it does, awesome. Go, please. Outside of here, have those conversations around the dinner table. Talk with each other about what it is you need prayer for or that God is doing or that you need grace for. But if you're not having conversations outside of this building, in someone's house or around the dinner table or at, you know, at Brethren Bruco or at the coffee shop or wherever it may be, if you're not, I want to encourage you to go ask for prayer because the danger of not asking for prayer, of not allowing people into your life is the risk of social isolation. And we're not meant to be alone. We need each other. With that, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask whoever is going to stand in the back, if you guys want to be back there for prayer during the last two songs, if you guys are feeling a, a tug or an urge to go and pray with someone about whatever it may be in your life, it could be a celebration moment, it could be a, a need for prayer physically, it could be emotionally. If it is technology that's been keeping you from knowing other people or knowing God, they want to pray with you, okay? I want to pray with you. We all want to be within your life to help encourage you closer to the Lord. Um, so worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I know each one of us has experienced loneliness at some point. That we've sought you out. God, we've sought friends out. We've sought family out. And we felt like no one has hurt us and no one has cared. Some of us may even be in that spot right now. And we are in need of a voice from the Lord. We, are, we, are, we want to hear your voice, God, whether it comes directly from you or it comes from your word or it comes from a, a brother or sister praying over us in the back of the room. We want to hear you, Lord, so that we can know that we are not alone. That you are our good, good father, we are your children, and we seek you out, God. Daddy, Dad, we need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us.